Blog Talk Radio. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program, live and direct. I'm Mike Gardner, and joins me always, Ben Florence. B-Flow, I understand it is finals week for you. How did you uh, How did you fare for your uh, for the uh, the last fall semester of your collegiate career? Well, it's actually interesting. Technically, at the moment, I still have one more final because my Wednesday final. Uh, well, I, I have a class on Wednesdays, and they meet only on Wednesdays because Wednesday, in the, the ever-present wisdom of our school, Wednesday is also the legendary uh, study day. So that means that instead of me or on the way home right now being done, I still have one more final on Monday. So I'm actually still not quite done. But, yeah, final weeks to this point, it's been going great. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get back home and uh, then start it off all, all over again back in uh, one month. What final was it that you that your last final? Personal finance. Good class, bad class? Good class, uh, great professor. It, it's actually interesting now because our whole class of three exams, age count for a third, but because everyone did, like, horribly on the second exam, and uh, now only the first and the third exam count. So basically this exam, and I got a B in the first one, but if I bomb this next one, it's just going to torpedo my grade because this next part is a half and 50% of the grade. Uh, yeah. You might want to put this in the mail before you go to jail. So uh, looking bright for this class, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I have thoroughly enjoyed the class, and if I, you know, if I don't do great in it, it has no effect on my major or even my minor. And I've learned some uh, useful stuff. You know, I don't want to be like in that ESPN 30 for 30, one of those former athletes who then just go broke. So I want, I want, you know, money is uh, money's great. It may be the root of all evil, but it's still great. That, that movie's such a scam, too. They have Kurt Schilling in that, which I understand he was temporarily broke, but he has a, a pretty sizable gig on, on ESPN right now, if I'm not mistaken. I, I never understood that. Yeah, you are correct. But even now, I, I don't know how these broadcasters, how much they make, because I remember when Warren Sapp, uh, a friend of the show, he had some financial issues, even though he was working at NFL Network. I think he almost said, or he did declare for bankruptcy at one point. But it is what it is, you know. People don't know how to spend money. And unfortunately, I hope this class has helped me to uh, be in that mix. Or not be in that mix. Do great. Have exactly. Speaking, speaking of money, fans, Back Radio is proudly presented by 1-800-Flowers. You can now save 25% on your purchase of flowers and gifts when you use the Visa checkout. Order now at 1-800-Flowers.com. Use promo code VISA84 at checkout. Offer ends 
the 31st of December. And we have a good show for you on hand. We'll talk some um, some NFL on uh, some horrible coaches and beef between players, which we love on this show. We love controversy. Uh, the new NFL rules policy that Roger Goodell and the uh, the NFL released and what that would mean for the NFL uh, Players Union, the association. Some NBA news, as always, and some baseball trade and some college football. I do want to start this show, though, by talking about my morning, if, I don't, if, you, if you don't mind, Flo. Go for it. All right, so... So uh, as you know, Ben, uh, most most of my days uh, is pretty much conveyor belt of life. Wake up, eat breakfast, the occasional the occasional athletic endeavor or sporting event. This uh, today a little something different though for the fans. Um, so my morning usually I, usually I'm a guy that sleeps in, obviously because I am uh, still in, still in the uh, the running for uh, for employment. If any uh, potential buyers are out there, the free agent he's still on the market. But so I was taking my parents to work. I dropped my dad off at a restaurant to meet a coworker. So I'm trying. I'm thinking about the best way to go back. Now, for people living in Dallas, uh, most would know that Northwest Highway is an absolute disaster. First of all, it's not even a highway. It's the three-lane busy street. Now, technically, it used to be a four. Obviously, the interstates are made. But anyway, that that road is a nightmare. And I'm turning, and, and so I decided to go the other way. Now I haven't been in this city for four, for give or take four years since I've been in in the District of Columbia uh, for for almost five years, and I ended up sort of making a giant loop back home. And the things I saw, obviously, were things I saw in high school, but I just, I just got my first dose of of just how much has changed. I went so I went by St. Monica, which is a, a church and school, Catholic church and school. And that, when I was, I, I guess in middle school, last time I was around that area, it was like a two-story building. Now it's just this, this giant thing. It's like it's like three houses smashed together. So I thought, oh, that's that's impressive how much it's how much it's grown. And then I drove by a school called Ursuline Academy, which is an all-girls Catholic school, uh, which is actually the sister school of my brother's alma mater, Jesuit, and. The big thing I've noticed is they built this this three million dollar sporting facility, all purpose for women's lacrosse, soccer, any field sports that Ursuline has. But I never have actually seen the school, and by some stretch of the imagination, I was sort of pushed in with all the carpool by by a, a cop in the middle of the street. So I actually got to drive through Ursuline Academy, and my goodness, it is. It makes AU. I mean, it makes AU look like like a, like a commuter school, like some downtown establishment. What, what school is this? Ursuline Academy in Dallas, Texas. A very good school, I might add. But I'd, I had never actually seen the school before, and so I uh-huh. so I was amazingly impressed. Got to drive by the facility; it was great. Coming home, more traffic. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Is this just the daily traffic of going to work? Instead, two cabbies uh, had crashed into each other in the middle of like suburban street. So, I, so that took a little bit of time. And then when I'm finally getting home, I'm probably about three blocks away. There was this huge charter bus trying to turn on a two-lane road, and it was such a disaster. The red, the, the lights are, cars flashing, honking at this, this huge charter bus. It's it's hopping over the curb. 
So I had to go all the way around, and I think from a, a trip that would probably take me about 10 minutes, took me about half an hour. So that is suburban oh Dallas gosh. life, and it is great. Hey, well, you know you know where I'm from. We we love traffic. <laughs> of course we do. Uh, <laughs> that was my morning, though, fans. A little slice and a little day of life of Mike Gardner. And now we get to do this show. And we'll start off with the, uh, the NFL. Uh, completely aside of the slate of games this week, Two big stories emerged. First one, obviously, is the NFL rules policy. Flo, are you for or against having a group of guys decide sort of the, being the watchdogs to the NFL and Goodell, the commish, his yeah. only role in this is sort of is for appeals, which could which eventually some couldn't happen because players could either just take the punishment or face Goodell. It's a smart move by the NFL. You know, I I don't love uh, the move for multiple things. Even I, now, I could be wrong, and I read the flow chart, and I read uh, because yes, the NFL did put out that flow chart about the policy. But from what I still understood, it's still in the end, uh, it's kind of still flow. And you, I could be wrong in this, but at least what I interpret it as, it still kind of runs through Goodell, and Goodell still has key power in this. And I feel that that's kind of the problem because that's been the problem. That was the problem with Bounty Gate, even though that's not personal conduct. And that was the power with the Ray Rice thing because he it was so much was flowing through him. And then so then when he, it, it, he his inconsistent rulings in the past and that has then come to light. So I look at, at this, I, I don't see how much is different all I see is that the league still has, you know, it's still wielding all of this power in terms of this, and that they'll conduct, like, their own investigation when there's no law enforcement. So it still seems, at least from uh, my uh, my humble brain, still, I still don't think this solves the problem. I, I, I get it. I know why they're implementing changes. But I, at least to me, it still doesn't seem like the league gets it and that there's still so much power and so much flowing through the, the league office and ultimately through Roger Goodell. Well, I love how he's the final say, him and him only. Yeah. You'd think, you'd think he would be on the committee to help out with disciplinary. It also takes away sort of the definition of true justice, of how every case is different. Now, because mm-hmm. what you could see is the NFL – lumping every scenario under one roof, which, for the NFL's case, it's good because they can get it out of the way, avoid the bad PR. It's also a bad thing, though, because when you look at uh, the recent issues that we've seen from illegal substance use to domestic violence to child abuse, while they're all crimes, they still fluctuate very, very differently. And if you're the NFLPA, you've got to be a little upset with this because I'm surprised they haven't really said anything because Demory Smith really doesn't like to deal with this kind of stuff in terms of getting in fights with Roger Goodell. We saw how that happened. It ended up being a lockout, missing most of the preseason. But the NFLPA has got to be a little concerned because if I'm in the players' union, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to treat everyone the same, thus giving the NFL so much autonomy. It's just basically just a way of NFL – Cutting out bad the potential for bad PR like we've seen over the summer. 
Yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, PR has this huge part to do with this. They felt that they realized, and correctly so, they, there was an issue with how the league was handling personal conduct issues. And as well, we, you know, when we, we talked about this before. When you look at, uh, when you compare the Ben Roethlisberger situation to the Ray Rice situation, and then the Adrian Peterson situation, which, uh, I mean, that was uh, initially more of a mess of the team, and then the league kind of kind of fumbled around, and then they finally found a solution that could work for them. But I think that ultimately this is a it's a big PR move. It's the league trying to show that you know we realize there's an issue and we need to change. But the problem now, and here and the really ridiculous thing about this is how the players' union, how they've been kept out of the loop out of this the whole time. They even said they put out a release after this that. The first that they heard about it was when the release came out. They weren't sure of it at all. And the players' union played a big part in the Ray Rice thing. And it's, it's incon- it, it, you know, the whole thing is really inconceivable about how the NFL botched it. So when you look at Ray Rice and you look at Peterson, how these two guys who did these truly unbelievably horrible things, and then they almost look like victims because the NFL really screwed it up. So, you know, it's definitely a PR thing. It's trying to get people back in good graces, but ultimately there's still some vagueness to it. It's still, I mean, you, you look at and you read the flow chart, it's still the, the commissioner or somebody in his stead, he then reviews the findings of that independent panel at the very end, and then he makes his decision. So it's almost like everyone's still flowing through Goodell. Well, flow, flow chart, deep flow 360, terrible pun. But, you know, and the whole thing is that it, it seems that the NFL and Goodell does, does not fully get it. I think they think that we're going to say we're going to announce a whole new change, but it may not necessarily be the change that really is needed. Yeah, that being said, moving forward, the NFL – Thoughts on Johnny Manziel getting the start this weekend? Uh, you know, I I mean, I thought that even uh, that uh, Manziel should have started last week. I think that, and everyone was making the case, well, if you start Manziel now, you're giving up on the season because Cleveland was and still is in the playoff race, even though they ultimately lost. But a Hoy, but I mean, Hoyer at the last of late, you know, he's won games, but he's looked terrible. He looked terrible against Buffalo. And he looked terrible against Indianapolis. And that was even a game that I don't want necessarily fault Brian Hoyer was losing, but that was a game that they did everything basically right until the very last thing where the Colts still pulled out a win. And I, I give Andrew Luck and all that a ton of credit. But I think it is a good time for Cleveland to start Manziel. Hoyer's not getting it done. The playoff hopes are slipping away. They still exist. But now with Hoyer struggling you can make a legitimate case that Manziel may give you the best chance to win because he can make plays with his feet. He's not because Hoyer isn't mobile, and while he doesn't have a huge arm, he's shown he can make some plays. As to what he can do, I don't know. We're still not certain. I like him. I've I've been a proponent of his throughout the whole draft process, but I think now is the right time to start Manziel. Of course, now with that. Everybody is going nuts. I don't know if you saw, but initially uh, the lead Fox game is going to be Packers-Bills, uh, a very good game, featuring my favorite team. 
And then mm-hmm. once Manziel was confirmed to start, they switched a good chunk of the country, and now Bengals or Browns is the lead game at one o'clock, which is also a very good game. And it, it involves uh, it's in the tight playoff race, the a- and an AFC and in the AFC North. But let's be honest, it's all because of Johnny Manziel. And it really is when you think about crazy that there's all this hype for somebody that really hasn't played at all and could be a complete flop. They're saying, the the players are saying that his offense is a nightmare to defend in practice. I think it's a lie. I think he's going to get – he's probably, he's going to get – of course, myself and a good majority of the country want to see this guy planted in the ground so bad. <laughs> the Bengals, they have to win to solidify themselves as the NFC North. As the Ravens are doing well, who knows what the Steelers will do this weekend – they have to win. So what better way to take out any frustration or anger than by goofy Johnny Manziel as the quarterback? He's going to be running around like a chicken with his head cut off, to throwing to receivers, you know, with the two-yard dump passes. They're going to see that. Some free safety is going to come in and just pop Josh Gordon in the helmet. You know, it's, it's that state rivalry if there is one in the NFL. So I think it's going to be an absolute mess. And that's my take on Johnny Manziel. I do not like the guy, and it's interesting to see if him start. I think the media eventually was the downfall of this. I do not blame us because we did not, uh, we weren't in any part of it. We just talked about it every once in a while. But yeah. Mike Pettin basically gave in instead of just sticking with your quarterback the entire year because he gave Brian Hoyer no confidence. Is when he's saying, you know, who's the starter? I was like, yeah, he's the starter. But then after every bad game, the same question emerged: who's the starter? If he just came out and said, you know. Whatever happens, as a first-year head coach in a very tough division, just stick with Hoyer. He did so well at the beginning. Why trash it? And also with the NFL, uh, a big story that came out was a Bears offensive coordinator apologizing to Jay Cutler. Flo, we mentioned that the uh, a lot of teams in the league, are, and coaches especially, are mm-hmm. really sort of malicious towards their players. Aaron Cromer, you know, had beef with... Jay Cutler, you know the, the, how he has bad play, you know, bad decisions at the line, and then we've had Jay Gruden bash Robert Griffin, saying, you know, this isn't the team for him. We're we're moving forward. You know, we have Rex Ryan possibly on the out of the New Jersey or not New Jersey, New York Jets. Is it yeah. bad that we have, you know, like teams like Green Bay and the Pats and John Fox have such great, fantastic gel with their team, and then we have the complete opposite end of just the worst of the worst with coaches basically almost going fist to cuff with their players. Yeah, you know, I think it really is. If you look at Chicago, they've been a big disappointment. Jay Cully's been a big disappointment. That's the contract. I think you look at it that in that it's the pride product of frustration. You look at Jay Gruden. He was brought in to, among other things, help turn Robert Griffin to more of a pocket quarterback. And it just has not worked out. The team continues to pile up losses. And if you're Jay Gruden, now normally you would say, all right, this first year, uh, next year you'll be able to look for move on from Griffin and all likelihood, uh, uh, what most suspect. But Dan Snyder has shown in the past, he's not afraid of firing coach after one year. Of course, you know, Marty Schoenheimer, they – they started, what they started, like 0-5 or something, then they won eight in a row or something. 
They finished an okay uh, eight, 8 and 8, and then he fired them after one year, which was a classic Dan Snyder move. So it's, it's you know, and you look at in the Grace of Groot, and then on the Bears, there, it's, it's driven so much by frustration. I, I think with losing, you know, I think the Bears thought that they could be a, a playoff team. I thought they were going to be in the mix to be a playoff team. And I think in a case like this, when the losses continue to mount, and, you know, four play is a bound. People are going to get frustrated, and they're going to take the tension out. Now, of course, we saw Cromer just go absolutely bonkers, and I think it was good for him to apologize. Because, yes, uh, Jay Culler deserves a good amount of criticism because he has to disappoint, but there's no reason to just go completely blew your mind as Cromer did. So, But, again, I think that, you know, it's a byproduct of losing and inconsistent play and not meeting expectations. Yeah, the Bears were a lost cause at the beginning of the year. I was very disappointed. I had such high hopes for this team. I thought, you know, trusting in his second year, things could work out. It's off and on. And that's the defense. Defense, I mean, the defense has been just as bad because it feeds off your offense. The offense has stunk. The Redskins stink. The Jets stink. And, and you know, Jake, you know, they, they were, Redskins had like two sparks of brilliance. And now it just seems like they're tanking their season. Speaking of tanking yeah. their season, we'll get to that in the second half of the show. But speaking of football, before we close out the uh, first half of the show, before we go to music break, College Football yes. Flow and I hosted the College Football Playoff show when the four teams were announced. We, uh, we So we basically talked for about an hour saying why the four teams got in, why they got in. We go to the other bowl games, though. And what what this system has done is they have erased tradition. And it's very disappointing why they've done it. Because I look at the the New Year's Six bowl games, I guess is what they call it. And uh-huh. to what, what, we, what I've known growing up as a kid is gone. Everything I've known is gone. The conferences aren't the same. The, you know, the, the roads to New Year's Day aren't the same. So we have the Orange Bowl with Mississippi State and Georgia Tech. The Peach Bowl with Old Miss TCU. The Cotton Bowl with Michigan State, Baylor and the Fiesta Bowl with Boise State, Arizona. I th- I find it very interesting how two teams that were conference runner-up made it. And, yeah, because a, a lot of these bowl games are very, were conference-based. Cotton Bowl, in particular, was always Big 12 SEC. So what it, sh- what it should be is Baylor-Missouri. But has the rankings... We've noticed there are flaws, but were they so focused on this the group of four that they sort of just thrown these New Year's Six bowls to the wayside? Well, I think what they just what they were doing with these bowls is that, and to the most part, you know, you the because these bowls are all in rotation for the for the playoffs. But I, I'm gonna. I don't think that tradition is entirely out the window. The ACC still has its bit in the Orange Bowl. When the Rose Bowl is not a playoff semifinal game, they'll still have a Pac-12, uh, Big Ten matchup. SEC will, will they? still go to the Sugar Bowl. Yes. Uh-huh. So they they maintain the traditional ones for that. But for the Cotton Bowl, the Peach Bowl, and uh, the Fiesta Bowl. They kind of took that away, for to, and you know and those bowls don't really. You can make a case that they don't have the history of like the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, of course, the most famous. 
the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl has only been around since the 70s and such. So I think what they decided is that with, uh, with those other games, when they have their at-large bids, that they're going to just they're going to make compelling matchups based on uh, they'll, they'll factor in geography. So that's why you see you know a Big 12 team you got them in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, you know, this way of Arizona, the Fiesta, and they still have the top, the highest ranked out of uh, not uh, the group of five teams, hence why Boise State, even with a few losses. Normally in the past, a team like Boise State virtually had to go undefeated to get to a bowl. Now it's just the highest rank of the rest, and that was Boise State. So I don't necessarily agree that tradition is fully out the window. It's something that's completely different. And but you know in the past it was the Bulls picking these teams, and that was when you had some years. Now there were years like when you had uh, Texas play Michigan in the Vince Young game before the Vince Young Rose Bowl before the when they won the title, they were able to push it. But a lot of times like when Illinois got into the Rose Bowl after they had beat uh, Ohio State, they upset them. They were like ranked like 13, but because they were a Big Ten team, they went to the Rose Bowl and just got crushed. So I'm I, I'm I think that it's key for the uh, the tradition to an extent to maintain, but in the other ones you weren't going to ensure because you know, the Cotton Bowl previously was the number three pick in the SEC and the two pick in the Big Twelve, but now I think that ultimately some of those traditions hold up. But you know the Orange Bowl still have an ACC team, the Rose Bowl still have the Pac-12, so at least from what I understand. I know that's certainly true for the Orange Bowl because we're seeing that this year, but I believe that still the first Big Ten, the first Pac-12 team will go to the Rose Bowl if they're not in the playoff and that they will all likely pick that. So it's not entirely – it's not like entirely traditions out the window, for better or for worse. Yeah, it's true because I'm noticing the Ole Miss, Arizona, and Georgia Tech are three lost teams because the rest of the teams that – Possibly could have got in. I mean, obviously, K-State wouldn't because they yeah. lost to both Big 12 teams. Uh, Georgia, 9-3, and three, which is weird that Missouri had a better record than Georgia. UCLA was a team that many could have gotten in, but, of course, they lost so many times in the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing how this ranking system will work. You know, Wisconsin essentially was the Big 12 runner, uh, Big 10 runner-up. And Michigan State is going instead of Wisconsin. Because I look at these matchups, and a lot of them, they, they just seem like potential blowouts waiting to happen. Mississippi State, Georgia Tech. I mean, maybe because Georgia Tech is playing close to home, it could be a lot better. I know the Ole Miss TCU game will be wild, because that will be Bo Wallace's last game. And a very good Ole Miss defense. Do you want to give them a shout-out? Very good defense with several NFL prospects. The Boise State-Arizona game. You know, God only knows how what that score is going to be. Because I don't think Boise. I mean, it could be very you know, high scoring for at least one side. I have no idea how good Boise State is. I know that their destiny to get to this bowl was all at the fault of Colorado State because Colorado State lost to Air Force at a chance losing their right to play in the Mac Mountain West Championship game. Because had CSU won out, they would probably be in this game. Mm-hmm. To to my surprise. But that's on the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day bowl games. 
That'll do it for our uh, college football. But more college football coming up. We'll talk some Heisman. We'll talk some baseball. Something we haven't done since mm. October. And um, other other fun other fun mumbo jumbo. Fanatic Radio brought to you by One Hundred Flowers. As you mentioned, go to One Hundred Flowers dot com. Use promo code Visa eighty four at checkout to save twenty five percent on your purchase of flowers and gifts. Also, some lovely Christmas wreaths just in time for the holidays. One Hundred Flowers dot com. Stay with us on the flip side. You're listening to Fanatic Radio. Fanatic Radio. Nobody cares about Rutgers. Let's be realistic. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Ben Florence, for those of you that don't know, that song is famously made uh, in the movie, the SpongeBob movie, uh, uh, which is my favorite, car- one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Back at it again, FR brought to you by 100 Flowers. To remind you, you can save 25% on your purchase of flowers and gifts when you use the Visa checkout. Order now at 100flowers.com and use promo code VISA84. Offer ends December 31st. As we talk some NFL rules, policy, Michael's wild morning. B-Flow's final to be <laughs> college football. You can, if you missed that, you can catch the podcast on iTunes and bflow360.com. Some co- more college football that we actually missed. Who do you think is going to win the Heisman? That is Saturday, Saturday 8 p.m. Eastern. Very excited to have a, a good class of, of just juniors, which mm-hmm. I noticed no Jameis Winston. I mean, That's right. There was a great debate on PTI the other day. Who was the better quarterback, Winston or Marcus Mariota? Yeah, you know, it's uh you know you know, and I've made the case that you know, you can make a case that even though 
Now, of course, we know why uh, part of the reason why he isn't there. He's had all the off-field issues. He just put more on uh, so many junctures there in the past calendar year or so. But, you know, you can make a case that even though his numbers are down, that he's been just as impressive or more impressive than he was last year. Because this year now, yes, last year they, he was fantastic. Obviously, he won the highest. And you have to be pretty good to do that. But this year he's had a more – He's either had to carry the team. The team is not as, you know, we beat, I know we're beating a dead horse here, but the team is not as good as they were last year. And yet, you know what? Even though they've been, every game for them has been a grinder, they keep on winning, and I attribute that mostly to James Winston. So I see why he isn't going, but I, in my opinion, I would have sent him there. But I think ultimately it's going to be Marcus Mariota who win this war. He's really been the favorite all along. And you look at the contenders, Melvin Gordon didn't play that well at all against Ohio State on Saturday. That was his biggest stage, so he's basically out of the mix. I think Laurie Cooper is a very interesting case. I don't think he's going to win it, but he's been sensational. And I don't know the team that, you know, everyone loves to dump on Lane Kiffin, and pretty much rightfully so. But he's been kind of regenerated this offense from less of the A.J. McCarron, and a more ball controls, and now there's more of a wide open style with Blake Sims. You couldn't make it a case for Blake Sims to be in the Heisman conversation. He never really got any buzz either. So I think Mariota's going to win, but I think I think and I think Cooper. I think Cooper will come in second. Man, I think that it, I don't see Cooper winning, but I I think that would be a I think that would be cool to finally to not have a quarterback uh, running back. It's been a while uh, to have a wide receiver as the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't think it will happen tonight, but it would be great. Yeah, because the last... I guess, well, first of all, the last non-quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy was in 2009, Mark Ingram, mm-hmm. who I clearly think didn't deserve to win it. The last West... It'd be interesting with, with, when you stack Cooper up against Mariota, because the last West Coast guy to win the Heisman was in two, was 2004-2005. Which was Matt Liner, Reggie Bush. Obviously, Reggie Bush's Heisman is taken away from him, so we'll go 2004 to Matt yeah. Liner. And ever since that, it has been very East Coast, which a, a lot of speculation goes out saying that the Heisman Trust is very East Coast biased. I stand 110% by that, because when Robert Griffin won, he beat Andrew Luck, who ended up playing in an Orange Bowl and a Fiesta Bowl under a great head coach with not really the best offense, when Cam Newton won, he beat out a guy named Toby Gerhardt from Stanford, who statistically was the best runner in the country, led in touchdowns, yards per carry, the yards after contact. He he was a fantastic running back, and he didn't win either. And it's funny that Jameis Winston is not at it will not be in New York because of off-field issues. When you look at guys like Ingram and Cam Newton... And even Reggie Bush, for that matter, they had plenty of off-field issues. Reggie Bush got his Heisman taken away, and you know Sam yep. Newton is you know still hated because many are thinking that his dad had a, a little extra something something uh, right. in store. And then you go down the, the, the list of guys like Ricky Williams. So having Jameis Winston not there to defend his Heisman, I think, is 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 a way of of the Heisman tr- trust saying, you know, we. Don't want this, you know, in our in our per, in our persona, which I find ironic considering the uh, 
the cast of characters that <laughs> are uh, Heisman winners. Interesting. I, you know, and now it'd be interesting to get back to the East Coast West Coast uh, bias. East side West side. The last non-running back quarterback to win was Charles Woodson. And now when we had this talk when Tyron Matthew was up for it, the Honey Badger, could he be a defensive player? And the last wide receiver to win it was game day's own annoying nuisance Desmond Howard. Oh, come on. I like that. I like that. What? Oh, he's Isn't it? Annoying. I think he's going Very annoying at times. He did. He did, yeah. Your pack look great, by the way. They, they they still look great. They look not just great. They look just flat out dominant. Yeah, they well they have, they've been they've been tremendous. I mean, of course, everybody has to know that they looked sensational at home this year. So I think people too when they say a lot of people say if you can make a case they look like the best team in the NFC, and you know we all know where my biases lie. But also they've been so dominant at home. They haven't looked as strong as the road. They lost to Seattle. They they didn't look pretty impressive there. They lost to Detroit. They didn't look that impressive there. They struggled in Minnesota. They lost to New Orleans. They're about 500, I believe, on the road. They've just been so dominant at home. Of course, if they go out and win home field advantage, get the number one overall seed, it won't matter how they look on the road because every game will have to go to Lambeau. But, you know, I think that, you know, especially of late, Especially Aaron Rodgers, they've just been cranking, and as a fan, I love it. Yeah, get a chance to uh, watch the pack some more. That's gonna be a fun team come playoff time. That team, that team clicks so well, it's it's fantastic. And another interesting note: regardless who wins the Heisman on Saturday, it'll be the third straight year that a non-senior wins the award. Last senior to do it was obviously DC's own Robert Griffin the third, who knows what is going to happen to him in a matter of few days. So now we uh, we will uh, switch to baseball before we get to our basketball talk. I do first of all I want to give a shout out to uh, to Madison Bumgarner, named Sportsman of the Year by Sports Illustrated. Great long form piece by Tom Verducci about how he is basically just a guy, a humble guy from North Carolina that goes back to his roots. And I recommend everyone read it because I find it very interesting. He has a .25 World Series ERA in at least 30 innings pitched, which is better than guys like Babe Ruth and Sandy Koufax and uh, the immortal Harry Breachin, who I had no idea who it was. I had to Google him. Good piece, though. Great uh, good, good shout-out to see uh, see the hometown boy, the uh, like, and the, like the guys you see in like Chevy Silverado commercials. Those guys get to cover best science sports in the year. I do find it funny, though, because in, in the Sports Illustrated, looking through his article... There is an advertisement for Muscle Milk, which is being apparently being endorsed by no other than Clayton Kershaw, which is yeah. funny because he, he had a dominating year. Wins his third Cy Young, leads the league in strikeouts and ERA, and yet because of a bad playoff, boom, Bumgartner wins the Sportsman of the Year. So I just find that a little ironic. And quite suspicious, to say the least. That being said, baseball, big trades on the move. The Cubbies flow. They got some. They got a big-name guy in John Lester. It seems like Joe Madden is ready to go out and be a winner. Is he the biggest trade of the offseason so far? Are there any, been any other trades that have caught your eye? You know, it's uh, definitely one of the bigger trades that we've had 
in this offseason thus far. And, and, you know, the Red Sox have been making moves, uh, you know, and the uh, A's have been dumping off a lot of guys. But the Dodgers trading, not just trading Kemp, but trading Kemp within the division, uh, just down the uh, 405 freeway down to San Diego. Very interesting move. You, it, uh, why did they do that? Well, they had a ton. They do have a plethora of outfielders: Carl Crawford, Andre Ethier, and of course, our good friend Yasiel Puig. And also with Kent, he hasn't looked as great of late. Plus, he's making a ton of money. But it's interesting for San Diego, a small town team. They don't spend a lot of money bringing in a guy like this, big ticket item guy that can play, he can give them some speed and some power, which they de- you desperately need playing at Petco Park. But, it, you know, it's interesting how Andrew Freeman, who left the race in a big money deal to go to the Dodgers, already starting to remake this club with this big, big move. Yeah, also Jimmy Rollins is leaving Philadelphia to the sad- sadness of Phillies fans to go to the Dodgers. So Magic and company still on the spending train looking to to get the Dodgers a uh, piece where they left off. I'm sad Matt Kemp's going. I thought, you know, his his MVP season was stolen by uh, by the cheating Ryan Braun, and now he's not even going to be a Dodger anymore. I'm excited for the yeah. Cubs thing. That's one thing that the Cubs don't have. Of course, there's a thing the Cubs don't have a lot of, but it was uh, it was pitching. You know, they, they, got, you know, they got Rizzo and Stalin Castro, and that's pretty much it. I went to a Cubs game over the summer, and Back in yeah, they're, they're towards the end of the summer, and other than Starlin Castro and Rizzo, I did not have a clue who was on that team. A lot of young guys. Man, people are thinking, oh, the Cubs are going in the wrong direction. That they they stink. They're one of the worst teams in the division. Now they get a good manager, which I think Joe Madden it was very underrated in terms of managers. He he basically made the 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 Rays, you know, consistent winners. And now they're even saying, you know, they, the Cubs would like to even go after David Price, you know, when he gets down the road and becomes a free agent. I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of guys from the race that had a lot of respect for Madden go back and go to the Cubs because he was such a good manager. Much like we see a lot in college basketball, when coaches leave, there's always uh, players attached. I see that definitely at SMU when, uh, when Coach Jankovic left Illinois State. One of his players left with him. And... um Will Morris is now one of the leading scorers of Larry Brown team, which looked very good the other night against Wyoming. And they play a Michigan team that has lost two bad games in a row. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. A little bit, but first, let's talk some b-ball. As it is b-ball, it's college b-ball. So college b-ball will fall at the end of of whatever we're talking about. Now we got to start with the NBA first off, because on Monday and how we missed it last week, I'm kicking myself in the foot. But the Royals were in the house. Prince William and Princess Kate went to a Brooklyn Nets-Cleveland Cavaliers game. And, Flo, apparently this got a lot of attention. Were you excited and caught up with uh, with Royals' Americana fever as as Kate Milton and William were courtside with Matumbo and Hove and Beyonce? You know, it's, it's interesting because... You- it really is. You look at the royals, and you look at the queen, Queen Elizabeth, and you know Prince William and Prince Harry, Prince Charles, Kate Middleton. What what 
I've always thought to be interesting, and it's why there's just still such a fascination, is that these people have zero power. They don't they don't do anything. They just have a ton of money. They're the royal family, but it's for a while they don't really have any power. They're they're basically just figureheads. But everyone's got this fascination with the British uh, royalty and with all of them. And of course, you know you have the cute couple. They have the the, the young boy. I forget his name. You know Prince William and the great Kate Middleton. Uh, but you know again, you know everyone goes uh, goes you know, Gaga seeing them at a Nets game, which turned out to be just a dreadful performance. And it's interesting, they came in while you had some, uh, so you had LeBron, you had Kyrie, some guys in the cast wearing the uh, I Can't Breathe Eric Gardner shirt. So it's interesting because they're not political uh, people. They like to come here, and it's not like when David Cameron went to uh, those, those dreadful first four games uh, with Barack Obama a couple of years ago in, in lovely Dayton, Ohio. Well, I mean, they feel like come to, there's, there's no politics and they don't try to get into it at all because their views on it are irrelevant because they don't do anything. So when they come and they kind of wade in, uh, or that, they don't wade into the controversy, they're just kind of sucked into it. But, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I can see why people are fascinated I just always thought it was interesting because these people just don't—they they don't mean anything. So you are anti-royals. You—you don't—you can't stand that they—they they, they get all this love and don't do anything in return. Well, I don't know, but I don't necessarily hate the royals. I—I and, and as, as I said, you know, I—I I get why people are fascinated by them. I've just been fascinated, always been fascinated. With the fast, uh, with all the fascination with them in this country, they're, they're, they're like they're significantly more pop figures than political figures. But it's interesting because you know we look at you look at the founding of this country, and you know people are like, well, we, we took out that evil king and we won the revolution. But here they we we revel in that. We love it. I don't have a problem with it. I see why people do. But it's like when you had the royal wedding a few like a couple of years ago. Like this was on at like two o'clock in the morning, and like yeah. I had I had like my mom and I think my sister got up to watch it, and my dad's like, "Well, this doesn't mean anything." I mean, why, why did you get up for these people? Of course, and then Pip the Great, the, the Great, who we got to get on the show, Pippa Middleton stole the show, and that was great. We love her as well. But you know the Royals. Uh, you got your, you got the Lord song. You got the Kansas City Royals, but uh, you know it, it is what it is. Quite frankly, I thought it was great. I think they were actually here because uh, Prince William had some some environmental foundation, the Royal Foundation, who went down to Washington. Great stories behind that. Uh, a good good anecdote by Kevin Love, who apparently missed a free throw because all the attention came to them. First of all, they showed up late. They they rolled up to the Barclays Center at like midway in the third quarter. So they only got to see a few minutes. The mm-hmm. second thing was Anderson Cooper said this, this whole apparently on the flight from DC to New York, they moved everyone from first class to to coach and then kicked some people off the plane because William and his entourage wanted or were going on that flight. 
and apparently a lot of people were upset. And also a lot of people were upset with uh, with LeBron James putting his arm around Kate Middleton, which I think is hilarious how people still get wigged out about that. Because much to your point, how that they are figureheads, we, are, we do live in a country that is obsessed by them. Uh, the fact that people got mad at LeBron, first off, I think they're, they're, they're roughly the same age, which... Mm-hmm. It's is amazing just to show us how long LeBron James has been in the league. But it's like, come on, you know, LeBron gave him presents. They went to his game. People get all fired up about this. I think it was great that they went to a game. The fact that Middleton's sitting next to Dikembe Mutombo, God knows what conversation they had. We love Mutombo. <laughs> and we, we love Mutombo. I thought it was fantastic that they showed up into an NBA game. Because apparently uh, Prince William is going to see the Bucks and the Knicks when they play in oh. London in January, which is which I would want to give, if Prince William is listening, which I'm sure he isn't, don't go to that game, because that would probably be the worst demonstration of basketball. Well, I mean, I, the Bucks have actually kind of been fun to watch, and at least you're seeing Carmel, but yeah, the Knicks are just, oh, God. That's, that's, a, that's right. a segue. Your thoughts on the Knicks? You live with a resident Nick who is probably going bald as we speak. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's very funny, actually. Uh, to, you know, uh, you know, and uh, Tyler Tomeo witnessed the another friend of the show uh, who was in the house as we you left earlier. He witnessed it uh, as well. You know, it's it, you know, the thing with the Knicks is that they've been just continuously frustrating for their fans, and I give their fans a lot of credit. Their fans have a, a great amount of patience. Surprised many of them still have hair out because this team has just been the franchise has just been so frustrating. Over during this millennium, so you know it's 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 everybody knew the season was going to be a work in progress. They, they were not going to win the title this year. They were rebuilding. They were uh, getting involved with the uh, Phil Jackson, the triangle, but it's just been a complete disaster. Uh, you know, Carmel, you know, Carmelo's played well, but you know everyone else has just looked like a mess. Uh, Derek Fisher looks lost at times. So it's really just been a very much a trying experience for the New York Knickerbockers. And, but you know what? If they were able to get it together, my Nets, who have looked pretty terrible this year and very inconsistent, but they're the eighth seed in the West. They're still five players because the, the East this year is atrocious. We're finally seeing Cleveland get their act together. The Knicks almost beat Cleveland, by the way. That was a three-point game. Cleveland is starting to play well. They're starting to play like the team everyone thought they were going to be. But really, beyond the, the top teams, you know, Cleveland, Toronto, and Washington, this Eastern Conference is, again, just dreadful. And it's only going to lead even more talk to people talking about realignment for the postseason. Going forward. Yeah, that's, what, that's what Mark Cuban wants to have. An article about that the other day. Interesting. It was, it was barely Minnesota. Uh, yeah, the Bucks. The Bucks Knicks game that 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 should be funny. That's in January. The Knicks, I think it's funny how one it does not show how bright Carmelo Anthony is because he you know foregoes the chance to play with a very good Chicago team, stays with the New York Knicks team who's four and twenty, who has lost ten in a row, and has been you know sort of a laughing stock of the NBA. I mean, obviously, the laughing stock is the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. But yeah, you know, this is this is team. You know, they're ready. They, they look like a bunch of guys that are ready just to to get in a fight in the huddle. You know, they pay no attention to Fisher, and they they you know show them zero respect. They'd be the worst team in the East if Detroit and Philadelphia you know weren't weren't in different basket weren't in the different the same conference. 
they've looked bad. They they are bad, and they, they will continue to get they'll continue to get bad. Will they win ten games this year? Will they make double digits? Who are they? Sixers? No, the uh, the Sixers or the Knicks? Well, I mean, the Sixers I think are a legitimate question. The Knicks are going to win ten games. I would I would be wholly shocked if the Knicks went out. They they already have four. I mean, they're, when you look at their record, and I'm going to pull it up right here. They, I mean, yes, they're four and twenty. And you multiply that over three, they're going to get the 10 wins. Whether they get the 20, I don't know. But I think Philadelphia is more of a team. You know, those teams are actually right in the next. Because Philadelphia, even though they just won, and then they lost. Uh, Detroit plus 13 in a row. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, New York is going to get the 10 wins. Philadelphia, I don't know. I I still think they get the 10 wins. I don't think we're going to have a team with less than 10 wins this year. But I I don't think they're going to do do that much better. Right. Uh, Back to the the New York Knicks game. Not the Knicks game, the Nets. The one one William was in the house for. You mentioned the LeBron James wearing the eye, and the guys wearing the I Can't Breathe shirt. That is be, uh, especially in the sports realm. Now we're yeah. seeing guys like Kobe Bryant wear it, including the Georgetown Hoyas the other night for their game against Kansas. Of course, Adam Silver stands by this. But, Flo, is it a concern for the league if they keep, if players keep it up? I don't think so. My my view on it, and I, uh, you know, I don't like when people say, like, oh, well, it's a sports thing, keep politics out of it. Politics and sports are in in many ways, even though it's not as much of a left-right issue as virtually everything in politics appears to be. But I don't have problems with guys like this. It's not like they were saying, they they were just saying, showing that wearing a shirt, I can't breathe. They were just saying, like, cops are murderers or something like that. That would be be more questionable. This, I don't have a problem with. I think, and you look at guys, you know, Charles Barkley famously said he's not a role model. But I think guys like LeBron, Kobe, I think they realize that a lot of people, and particularly a lot of people in the African-American community, look up to them as kind of leaders, uh, you know, guys they look up to. And I think when they make a stand uh, again, uh, about something like this, which drew a lot of criticism from across the board, what happened with Eric Garner in New York, uh, a couple of weeks, uh, the, the, the treasury not uh, coming down with anything. But I, I, I don't think this is dangerous. I think it's dangerous when you actively try to, like, incite violence. They said something like cops, or, you know, cops are evil, cops will kill you or something like that. I think that's the problem. I think this thing, uh, the I can't breathe thing, I'm fine with. I'm generally fine with players showcasing their political beliefs on either side of the spectrum. I have no problem when you have, like, Tim Tebow. A lot of people didn't like when he had the black uh, and he had, had the uh, the Bible pastors. I had no problem with that. Of course, that's not the same thing. And that's even, and also, that's not really a political statement. But I think I have no problem with that. There is a line, though, and if they're trying to, like, if they're targeting specific people or if they're saying, you know, if they're trying to incite violence or anything, that's an issue. But this, I don't have an issue it's good that Silver's supporting it because it's only been a few guys. I think it's only been less than a dozen people. If it's like mm-hmm. mass teams like what we saw with the, the Clippers last year, of course, that's a whole different yeah. scenario. Uh-huh. It's, inter- it's interesting though that Georgetown did it because working at the athletic department, it's 
that that's pretty that's pretty cut and dry that you that you really have to watch out what you do in terms of of promoting anything other than your school because those are student athletes you know signing the contract through the NCAA. I think the Georgetown guys doing it was a little too far, and I know a couple of guys on that Georgetown team. I think for Georgetown college players doing stuff like that it goes too far. The pros. Uh, it's a question of just how long they will do it because then at the end of the day Adam Silver did point out hey listen we do have you know a million dollar contract with Adidas and if I'm a guy from Adidas and I see Derek Rose who is an endorser of my product not wearing my product I would get a little upset for that <laughs> but but hey you know who knows what happens with that it'd be interesting to uh, to see how that what uh, that bubbles to the surface interesting comments though leading to that uh, the president of the United States and I definitely want to you know, end the show with this, uh, as it is time now for a new segment on FNAC Radio called The Good, Good, Bad, and The Ugly. I love it. This is where we'll take a look at the stuff that's happened over the week that is, that is you know, as Clint Eastwood would say, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, anything good, Flo, that has come about this week? Mentioned well, the Royals, your your girl Kate Middleton. Yeah, um, uh, you know, actually, uh, I guess I guess a good thing is that this week was my last week at my internship at CBS News in the radio division, and it was I, I thoroughly enjoyed every moment I spent down at twenty twenty M Street, down at uh down by the Dupont Circle, and you know, I had a nice little send off from people and. Uh, from the people in the radio department, it was great. I, I, all of them were tremendously great to me, and that's what was good this week. All right. In terms of bad, let's take a look at some weather news. Apparently, California has had its worst drought in over 1,200 years as temperatures and risks rise. Now, I don't, I did not think California was a, even a state 1,200 years ago. I, in fact, I know they were not a state. I don't know how. You know, sources have gotten that number. That is bad, though, considering that drought is is rising in California. And a chance for the ugly. Uh, your boy Colin Coward. First of all, I don't know how this came about. And this is on my drive uh-huh. in the morning. How in the world he landed the president of the United States on his radio show? And here's Obama. Here's President Obama. Speaking about the sort of the I can't breathe of of play of athletes using up their sort of political uh, political ways expressing views. When you think about some of our greatest sports heroes, uh, Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, Arthur Ashe, uh, you know they spoke out on issues that mattered at at pretty critical times and. Listen, I, I spend most of my time watching ESPN in the morning. I get so much politics, I don't you know, uh, want to be inundated with a bunch of chatter uh, about politics during, uh, during the day. On the other hand, there's times where uh, there, there are important issues out there, and for athletes to recognize their citizens as well as entertainers, and uh, they've got a voice that's legitimate, uh, I think is important, I think is useful. Well, was it cool that Obama went on Sports Talk Radio, let alone the herd with Colin Coward? 
Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. You've seen a lot in President Obama. He's gone on different and talked to different mediums. It was just in the week he had talked to, in the same day, uh, BET and the Colbert Report for the first time. Uh, you know, he's talked to Entertainment Tonight. He's talked to all kinds of various means. And then going to Sports Talk Radio, I got no issue with that. You know, I mean, uh, of course, you could have opponents say, well, you know, it's not serious discussion. But I think, you know, he's allowed to talk to basically whomever. And But the problem I have with that is, why are you going on cowards? We hate cowards. I know. If you wanted, if you wanted to have some, enjoy some real sports talk, uh, from from two real sports fans, along with a, a, a great dash of humor and fun, come on back radio. We'll call huge chaos, and it would be fantastic. Who wouldn't love that? Get well, he's been, yeah, he's been. He's I love how his, his his repertoire is. He's been on a funnier die video with Zach Galifianakis, which I don't know how that came about. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And of all the radio shows. Why the Hurt? He's probably the least credible guy on radio, you know, since since this is the radio priest in New Orleans back in like the 40s. But yeah, I'm shouting out to the White House President Obama. We would uh, we would love to uh, to have you on the show as the uh, the ultimate uh, chair of wisdom is waiting for you. Any other final shout outs though before we uh, before we end the show, Flo? Um, uh, yeah, actually, you know, I've been getting gifts this week. I've been spending some coin. I got to spend some more coin getting gifts for my mom, uh, my sister, and my father at the AU Bookstore. Mike, I know how much you love the AU Bookstore. Also, with a shout-out to, as I mentioned earlier, a friend of the show, Tyler Tamea, crashed in this apartment for a few days this week. It was good to see him, as always. I met Another fan of the show, your boy Ben Lasky. So how about that? Great times all around. True. I do want to give a shout-out to American University, as apparently they have opened up the Skybox. And I'm looking at photos online, and it looks fantastic. Shout-out to Doug Dolan Company at, uh, at AUA. This is a chance for, at least, I'm guessing, basketball. It looks really nice. It's got a little uh, buffet set up, fancy seating and and those stadium chairs that look out over the basketball court. That being said, it's a very small area up there. But of course, now it looks it looks fantastic. It looks like we are a legit collegiate program. Seats up, you know. The seats we got to we got to do we got to do a show from here. This is great. Yeah, and there's also a painting underneath. It says "Character Forged Through Competition." I, I don't know. That. Oh my god! Where that came from. Oh, what that's from. But, oh well. That's a, that's another good episode of Fanatic Radio in the books. Uh, we can tick that off our weekly list. Mind you that the show is uh, every Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern. And you can catch the podcast on iTunes, BFO360, and Facebook.com slash Fanatic Radio. We are presented by 1-800-Flowers. Remind you to use the promo code VSA84, save 25% on your holiday purchase. Great Christmas wreaths and etc. Notorious Ben Florence. I'm Mike Gardner. We have the Bull Show next week, baby, off the yes. radio. And remind us, uh, we're, we're we're not crazy. We're just fanatics. So long, everyone. <laughs>